Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Abundant Solutions Hour. Our goal is to help others be more, do more, and have more. I can tell you that tonight's show is going to be so, so powerful. Tonight's topic is our purpose in life. Tonight, our special guest is Minister McGee. He's a member of Tabernacle Missionary Baptist Church here in Tallahassee, Florida. He's also a graduate of Florida A&M University. He's a loving husband and a devoted father. And let me tell you, you will, you will see who this man, this is This is really, really a man of God. Minister McGee, are you there? Yes, sir, I'm here. <laughs> How you doing, brother? Doing well. How are you? <laughs> I'm just glad to have you on the show. Praise the Lord. For those that are listening, if you want to call in, if you have any questions for Minister McGee, please call 718-508-9600. Again, that's 718 if you can't call in or make it in, you can also uh, reach me on IM at GregTU24. GregTU24, that's MSN. Derek. Yes, sir. Yesterday I spoke at a track to a track team here in Tallahassee, Florida, and just about, you know, just about everywhere I go and speak, I, you know, I'm always asked the question, when will I find out why God created me? So that's why that's why we have this this topic tonight, our purpose in life. And another reason is, I, I deal with people all the time, and one of the things that they tell me is, you know what, I'm suffering. I I, I don't have a husband. I I don't have this. I don't have that. Uh, I was raped when I when I was a little girl. This type of stuff happened. That type of stuff happened. And it seems that they can't find their way. What would you what would you tell someone in in a situation like that where you think they're just they're just holding on to a wing and a prayer? What what advice could you give them? The first advice I will give any any and everyone is, is first and foremost that the Lord Jesus Christ loves them. Yes, I think so many times we seek to find refuge and find assurance and find comfort in so many places that most of the time those places are away from the Lord Jesus Christ and not to Him. Yes. It's we've. As as we endure pain and endure struggle in life, instead of us running to his comfort, we find ourselves becoming angry with him, wondering why did you let this happen, wondering why did you let such and such, why you let this person pass away. It's always God's fault. Mm. And we never, never appreciate the true love that he has for us. We never imagine or picture that the pain that I'm going through maybe is grieving him as well. And I think it's important for us to understand when we talk about Many of us suffer, many of us go through, but, but you have to understand that if you read the book of Mark, chapter 4, it talks about when Jesus came out of the 40-day and 40-night fast, how he was tempted by the devil. He, and he had to endure the same stuff that we endure and more because there was an assignment that was placed upon his life and, and, and what, what allowed him to keep going, what allowed him to, to, pre, to persevere and to press forward was, was knowing that there were so many other lives hanging in a balance based on what he was going to do. It's always easy to give up. It's always easy to throw in the towel. It's very hard to press. It's easy to say, you know what, I'm tired of dealing with this. I just give up. It's easy to do that. But it's hard to hold on and say, God, you would not have brought me to this. You would not have brought me through what you brought me through unless you had something in store for me. It's hard to do that because we operate in this world by the natural eyes, not by the spiritual eyes. 
And, and, and so my first and foremost, I would say to somebody is, is know that the Lord Jesus Christ loves you. And secondly, I would begin to show them in Scripture where he tells us that he would never leave us nor forsake us, that he is there. But, but there is an assignment that we have as God's people that we must seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, knowing that all things will be added unto us. We as the people of God, we must take an active role in seeking him and allowing him to be able to have communion in our lives. Not, not just to call on the Lord when we want something, but to, but to commune with Him and to fellowship with Him. Yeah. Many people ask that same question, why am I here? What's, what, what, is, what is my life? Well, I don't understand this, I don't understand that. But, but the, the, the advice I give any and everybody is, you will never be able to find out the truth essence of your life if you do not first try to find out who is God. Mm-hmm. If you do not have a craving in your heart to get to know Him as, as a Lord and personal Savior, you will always have those questions. Those are the questions that he can answer through his word and through prayer. Man can't answer that for you. Man can, man can give you revelation that God gives man, but, but, but you have to have a, a yearning desire to know the Lord for yourself. Yes, yes, that's, that's powerful. So what I get from that is what you're saying is we need to take I out of the equation and the things that we're going through and know that everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. The, the, the word I is a very prideful word. If you read in the book of Proverbs, chapter 6, it talks about the six things that God hates, and seven is abomination. And the first thing it says is a proud look. Going a little bit further in Proverbs, it says that it says that pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. And then you go in, in the book of James and talks about how, how God will resist the proud, will give grace to the humble. What it's showing you is, is that God despises pride. Anytime you say, I did this and I did that, what you're doing is you're self-elevating yourself. You're not giving God any glory. Scripture says it, if, scripture says it very plainly. It says, he who humbles himself shall be exalted, but he who exalts himself shall be abased. Anytime we, anytime we, we depend heavily upon our, our own knowledge and our book knowledge and our street knowledge to answer life's questions, what we've done is we've, we've, we've canceled God out of the equation. And, and, and as much knowledge as we may gain in, in, in college, God is blessing me with a college degree, and it's wonderful. But that college degree taught me one thing. I don't know it all. I don't know it all. And, but, but we are taught that the more information that you acquire, the more you know. And while that may be true in some essence, life will always throw something at you that will make your college degree meaningless. But at that point, you must know, you must be persuaded, as, David, as, as Paul said, that you have to be persuaded that you know without a shadow of a doubt that God is real, that I have a relationship with him, and if I go to him, he's going to respond to what I'm going through. But anytime you have that word I involved, what you've done is you, you've exalted yourself, and you, have, and you have excused or ignored the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. So, Derek, before you became a minister, did you ever struggle or did you ever have that breaking point in your life where you said, you know what, God, you know, enough is enough. I'm 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 tired. I want I'm ready to be who you call and who you created me to be. Have you did you ever have that breaking point? I've been there I've been there quite often. Real briefly, I'm the youngest of two boys that my mother had and, and I grew up in a very abusive household. My father was very physically and verbally abusive. Um I recall on many, many occasions my mother being abused by my father. I remember going to sleep hearing her crying and waking up hearing her crying. I've been through a lot, and, and but I was raised in a very strict, traditional Christian setting. 
My grandmother was heavily involved in church, and she was involved in almost every ministry in the church. I knew church. I, I knew the routine of church. I knew the, 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 the routines of church. I knew I knew church. I didn't know the Lord, but I knew church. I knew what to do, how to do it, when to do it. I knew how to mimic and imitate people. But as I said earlier, life has a way of throwing things at you to force you to drop to your knees. And as my life went on, and, and, and I was successful academically in school, but, but and even socially, but what it was was none of the people that I hung around in school realized there was a, there was a deep, dark secret in my life. And what it was, there was, there was strong abuse in my home, physically, verbally, and also drugs. My father was very, very strong addicted to, to marijuana and crack cocaine. Mm-hmm. And so all that was going on in my house. So on top of that, my father had a had a very strong, um, promis- promiscuous spirit upon him where he, he, could, he wasn't satisfied with just one woman. So all that went on. But while my father was doing that, my mother was still in the choir singing how she loved the Lord Jesus Christ with black eyes. And I grew up hating God. Because I can understand how the God I heard that was a loving God would allow a man to beat on a woman and allow her to get up in the choir as though nothing was wrong. And so, and, and so there were times when I, when I grew up not wanting to hear about God. But the, but, but the angrier I got, the angrier I got, the more I began to realize that, that, that there's something going on in my life, something different. I tried to do the things. I was involved. My brother and I were involved in street gangs back in California. We, we did different things, and, and, but, but, but it never seemed right. Never seemed right. God, God blessed me to come to Tallahassee, go to FAMU, and got to FAMU and, and endure much hardship. Family members passing away, money being low. And I remember one day in my dorm room, my, my freshman year at FAMU was in my dorm room, and Patty Foot in Tallahassee, Florida. And I remember just being on my knees in my dorm room, just crying before the Lord. My grandmother had just passed away. And I remember saying, God, I knew you by grandma. You were, well, I felt as though when my grandmother died, God died. Cause all I knew about God was through her. And I remember, remember just, just being at a breaking point and saying, God, nothing's going right in my life. I don't have any money. I was on the verge of being evicted out of my dorm room. I, I was doing decent in school, but I was but I didn't have any money to pay my tuition. I was on the list of, of kids going to be kicked out of class because they hadn't paid tuition. I didn't have a job. I, I didn't. I didn't have food. None of that. T- nothing was going right in that aspect of it all. And I kept saying, God, you didn't bring me this far. Now, now mind you, now, I still hadn't accepted the Lord as my Savior. But I remember some things that Grandma had taught me mm-hmm. about how to get on your knees and talk to the Lord and and get it off your chest. And I remember doing these things and 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 and. But the one thing I'll say is I did all that, but my heart still wasn't sincere. I was trying to get a quick fix, trying to get a quick fix because I was tired of dealing with what I, what I was dealing with. And even after that situation, when I got things went on, and, and I've been through so many things at a very young age, at a very young age, and, and been at times when I contemplated suicide. It wasn't it was until I was 22 years old that I stopped sleeping with a knife under my pillow. It wasn't until I was 23 years old that I stopped praying for God to kill me while I was asleep. I'm now 29, so that's a six year, six years later. But I, I know the true essence of of God's healing hand. I know the true essence of God's faithfulness in my own personal life. But I was 22 years old when I stopped sleeping with a knife under my bed. I remember, I was, Derek. It, it's it's you went back yes, to your childhood, and it took me there too from the pain and suffering. I'm the baby of three boys, my mom and dad, and right now I'm the only one that's still living. And and I was young. I had to deal with death at a really, really young age. 
and I think that I connect with you and your past hurts and your pains and the things that you went through as a child. It just seems like now that I see you in the church and I see you in Bible study and, and when you're in the pulpit and you're preaching, it just it looks to me that what you've gone through shaped you and molded you into the loving person that you are right now because you have this genuine, uh, sincere attitude towards people. I've seen people come up to you after church, and it just seems like you're just reaching out to people. and It's just your desire to really help others. The one thing I'll say, Brother Greg, that's important, out of all that I've been through in my life, I, I, when, by, the, by the time I was 22 years old, I had experienced, I had lived a full life. I had experienced more than, than people twice and three times my age had experienced. And I remember one night just in prayer and crying before the Lord and saying, God, I don't understand. All of that, why, why, why? I remember hearing the voice of the Lord respond back to me and saying, he said to me, he said, son, all that you went through, I brought you out of that, but the most important thing is that you now qualify yes. to minister to the broken. You now qualify to minister to the, to the abused. You now qualify to minister to youth. You now qualify to minister to somebody and tell them that I'll make a way out of no way. You now qualify. Had, he said, had you not endured any of that, you wouldn't qualify. You'd be ministering based on what you heard somebody else said. Now you're ministering based on what you've experienced and how I brought you out. And so anytime I'm interacting with people, my smile is genuine. My conversation is genuine. Most importantly, I want them to know that what I'm telling you about the Lord is not what somebody told me. I'm telling you from my own personal experience that it was the power of the Holy Spirit of God that stopped me from, from having suicidal thoughts, stopped me from praying to die, stopped me. From, from from wanting to throw in a towel. And I, every day I see it, even at church. And that's the most important thing people don't fail to understand is, is that is that we think by because we because we crowd we, 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 we populate churches that things are well. But there are a lot of people sitting right next to us on Sunday mornings, overwhelmed with life, overwhelmed with the guilt, overwhelmed with pressure, overwhelmed and they're having these suicidal thoughts and they and they're asking that one question, God, does anybody know what I'm going through? And one of the things I said to the Lord is, Lord, I want to be a vessel for you. If if if, not, if my smile encourages somebody, God, let it let it do that. If 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 I have to go and talk to somebody, let God, whatever, I want to be a vessel for you. Because I remember asking that question to the Lord, God, does anybody know what I'm going through? And I remember going for days and weeks and months, and felt like years, feeling like nobody knows what I'm going through. People are people are speaking at me. People, people are speaking at me, but nobody's ministering to me. Nobody's ministering to the hurt and to the pain. And many folks, even those listening right now, a lot of folks are dealing with that. They feel like I'm going to church and I'm being spoken to. People are speaking at me and speaking about me, but nobody's ministering to me. And so we walk out of the church feeling the same way we felt when we walked in, if not worse, because we went there begging for somebody to notice the, that we're broken. Yes. And nobody seems to recognize the brokenness. Nobody seems to recognize that God. I'm I'm tired of crying. I'm tired of crying. I remember I remember Brother Greg. I remember most of my crying was on the inside. I was one, I was that child where I didn't I, I held everything on the inside. I remember I used to do a lot of crying on the inside. And over time, people fail to realize that when when you're crying and you wounded so much on the inside, after a while that stuff builds up, and eventually it begins to sink out. It begins to sink out. It begins to find a way to get out. 
And for a while, I was able to hold my, my, my personal life secret from everybody. And as time went on, it began to seek out. We began to see certain things, and I just couldn't hold everything together. Because, I, see, you were taught where you wear this mask on your face where everything is okay. Everything was okay. And, 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 but the question I would ask anybody is what happens when what you're trying to hide becomes revealed? How then do you handle the situation? Because you spend so much energy trying to keep it hidden from everybody. What do you do when what you try to keep hidden is now exposed? And we have to understand that it's right there at that point is where God wants to minister. He wants to minister at your brokenness because, because if he ministers at your brokenness and he brings you out, he knows that you will give him the glory. Mm-hmm. And that's the one thing I can say about my life is, is, is I, I feel like I've been, I was at the lowest point I've ever been at in my life, and it was the Lord Jesus Christ who brought me out. And I would be silly to walk around here acting as though I did this by myself. But I want other folks to experience true freedom in the Lord. Yes. So, Derek, when someone is going through, suicide is on their mind mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. and they isolate themselves from everybody. Mm-hmm. They keep their curtains shut. They don't want to get out of the bed in the morning, and they just stay to themselves. Mm-hmm. What do you? What would you? What advice would you have for them? Other than picking up the Bible and reading it, what what would you tell them about God's power in prayer? The, the 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 first thing I would say to them is live. That's the first thing I would say to them is live. Scripture says, I, I give you, lay before you, life and death. Choose life. Live. Live. Be, 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 because by killing yourself, what you're saying is, is what I'm going through. Not even God is able to fix it. And, and, and I will tell any listening person today that that is not the truth. No matter what you go through, God is able. He is able. But, but, but for the person who's having the thoughts and the person who's wondering and the person feel like they're overwhelmed with life and they feel like, you know, taking my life will free me from all of this, there's a few things I would tell that person about prayer and about the Lord and about his word. The first thing I would tell them is, is that earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. Yes. No matter what you go through, God is able. He is able, and, and, and it's at that broken point where I will say to you, if you tried everybody and everything, try the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you say, I've tried him, Minister McGee, what I'll say to you is, is try him again. Because, because what, you can, what we define as trying is not really trying. What we do is we, make a, we, we give a little bit. We give a little bit, and we'll see what happens. But I'm talking about trying when you say, you say, say God, I give you my life. I totally surrender myself to you. Totally surrender myself to you because because we sort of realize that every big problem we experience in life, it was it started out as a small problem. Yes. And it enlarged because we thought we knew the answers. We thought we had it under control. And as long as you keep your own personal fleshly hands on this situation, it would always get out of control. It's when you surrender your life and your situations to him that things begin to get better. Yeah. But see, people for the rise. The one thing about prayer that's important is that prayer is not a monologue. It's not you dominating. It's a dialogue. It's you and God having a conversation. So when you go to God in prayer and, and you and you're releasing your anger, stop long enough to give Him a chance to talk back to you. Be, be, because because 
You can spend 10, 15, 20 years of your life going through hell. It only takes God 10, 15, 20 seconds to free you out of a hellish situation. But, but you can't be free if you never sit still long enough to hear what he's saying. God can speak one rhema word to you that can change your whole life's direction. But you miss that rhema word if you're not still. And so for those who sit in the house with the curtains closed and they won't answer the phone and it's just in a dark setting, they've made up in their mind that this is the best for thing for them. But it's not. It's not what it is. It's a trick of the enemy to make us think that 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 no one cares, and, and and this is this is what it is, and what the devil does is is that he begins to isolate you from everything and everybody, so he can begin to play on your mind, begin to play on your mind, and begin to pollute your mind with different thoughts, and begin to begin to beat you down. He begins to beat us down in those areas, and what and what begins to happen is that we begin to believe those lies, begin to believe those lies, and the more we begin to believe those lies, the more the more those lies begin to dominate our lives, and then when they begin to dominate our lives, it becomes that much easier. To take our life, begin to, to take our life. But Jesus said, "He whom the Son has set free, you are free indeed. He whom the Son has set free, you are free indeed." When you're on your knees praying and you're saying, "God, I can't take it this anymore," He wants to hear that because what, when you say that, what has happened is, is that you have gone to a point to where you've gotten tired. Of this, if you read if you read the book of Second Corinthians, talking about when when Paul went to God about the throne, he said he went to God three times, and each time God said, "No, I'm not going to take it out." But God responded by saying, "My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made for your strength is made perfect in weakness." Then he goes a little further, and he said that he said, "When you are weak, I am strong." When we are at our weakest point, God's at his strongest point because at at our weak point, we have no energy to fight, we have no energy to to do anything but to let go and surrender. And that's when God intervenes. And many people who feel like, I'm just tired of life, what it is 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 you have to let go. And sometimes what will happen, Brother Greg, is that God will make you uncomfortable. God will begin to put you in uncomfortable situations and begin to change what you consider to be, quote, unquote, familiar. He'll begin to trouble your sleep. He'll begin to trouble your settings. He'll begin to begin to um, cancel friendships and begin to... Um, and isolate you away from people, not to not to give you suicidal thoughts, but he'll begin to isolate you to work on you so he can elevate you. All a part of his purpose for your life. But but what the enemy does, understand this, understand that God is an originator. The enemy is an imitator. Yes. He will always try to imitate what God is doing. Always try to imitate what God God will isolate you. Before God ever elevates anybody, he always isolates them first to minister to them, to work on them, to reveal things to them, to give them word, and he releases them. What the enemy will do is the enemy will also try to isolate you, but it's not to elevate you. He'll isolate you to try to destroy you. He's an imitator. He's an imitator. And, and sometimes what we think is I'm being isolated for something great. We fail to realize is that, is that we shut ourselves away and we hear a voice saying, don't talk to anybody, don't do anything to anybody. We're thinking that's God. And it's the enemy playing tricks on us. Yeah. And what he's doing, he's isolating us to destroy us. But that's where you must have an effective prayer life, where, you, where, you, where you're able to get on your knees, find you a secret place. And you, and you and God are meeting in a place, and you're having a conversation with the Lord, getting in his word and finding out what he's saying about, about, about living and about, about troubles. Finding out, finding out, reading about different parables and how he brought other people through and how he did certain things with people. He's the same God. 
Derek, you know, when we're going through, and I go through, we all have our struggles. We all have trials and tribulations. We all experience that. And when we are at our lowest point, I've learned this. When we're at our lowest point and we're suffering and we're crying out to God, you know, if we just listen, he's talking to us. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, the enemy is also talking to us. That's true. Because we're at our weakest point. So that's when the enemy says, okay, this is my best time. I'll strike right now while he's or she, while they're at their weakest point. Let me move in. This is when I need to make my move right now. And at that point, we have a choice, do we not, of listening to God's voice or listening to the enemy's voice. We definitely have a choice. The one thing I would tell people, people ask me quite often, how do you know the difference between God's voice and the enemy's voice? Understand a few things that Scripture tells us. Number one is that God's not the altar of confusion, yes. but of peace in the church. So whenever God speaks to you, God never wants to leave you confused. Number two, also understand that whenever God speaks to you, God can, God's work can always be confirmed. God's work can always be confirmed and verified. Yes. He sets it up that way. Well, and usually, some of the, the top three ways God usually confirms His word is either through direct, either through a sermon preached, through prayer, where He's talking to you directly in prayer, or through reading His word, He gives you comfort, gives you peace. And, and 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 that's important. The enemy, anytime the, the enemy always, if you you read you read the book of Genesis chapter twelve when God told Abram to leave, get away from his kindred. He told him to get away from your kindred, and he told him how he was going to bless him and and things of that nature. But he told him to get away from his kindred. And that's all he said at that point. And then as time went on, he gave him more and more instructions. But initially, he said, get away from your kindred. That was it. Sometimes when God speaks to you, quite oftenly, God will speak a word to you. And he may not give. He may not say anything else but that. He may just say go, and that'll be it. And you're thinking, where do I go? What the enemy will do is the enemy will not only will he talk to you, he'll try to give you very specific details as to why you should do it. Give you an example in the in the book of Genesis when when the enemy when the serpent deceived Eve. Not only did he not only did he speak to Eve, but he began to try to give her specific details as yeah. to why she should do what she's yeah. going to what he told her to do and what the results would be. Because because the enemy knows enough about us to know that we're going to question everything. So what he's going to do is he's begin to map out. I'm, if, she, if they say this, I'm going to say this. Because he knows that we're going to. Even when God speaks to us, Scripture says, "Test the spirits by the spirit." So we always, we always second, always question it. And God knows it. That's why God always confirms what He says to us because He knows we're going to question it to make sure it's of Him. But what the enemy will do is, as remember what I said earlier. Now, the enemy is an imitator. Yes. So he's going to speak. If, if, you, if you read very closely the scripture when he when the serpent deceived Eve, if, if you if you read what the Lord said in the Bible, and then what the serpent said, the wording is not that much different. One word can change an entire sentence. Yes. One word can change an entire sentence. So the, so the, so the devil will speak to you in a manner that it sounds the same, but it's not the same. But you have to be a discerner. Of what's going on, and like I said, God will never leave you confused. It, I'll give you an ex- a further example. When we pray, we say, "God, if this is your if this is your will for my life, yeah. let these things happen." Mm. The enemy hears these prayers we pray. What he'll begin to do is he'll instantly begin to make something happen that we wanted to happen, before we give into it, and then we define it as saying that must be God's will for my life. We never discern that that's not God. That's the enemy trying to trick me. 
it's important for us to understand that the devil does not know our thoughts. And he only can respond based off what we say. That's it. He can't. He doesn't know our thoughts. God is omnipresent. God is omniscient. God, God is omnipotent. God, God. The Bible. Many times the Bible talks about how God heard their hearts. And and, and when Sarah laughed and told her she have a baby in her age, the Bible says she laughed within herself. And God said, "Why did you laugh?" He knows our thoughts and our hearts, whereas the enemy does not. The enemy will throw certain things at us to see how we're going to respond to them. And based on our response, he knows that's an area I can deal with. When, when, when we say things like, like, this is going to be a bad day, or, I'm going to have a headache today, based on that, he now has something to work with. But, but, but if we never say anything, he doesn't know that that's an area of our weaknesses. So the enemy is always an imitator. But we have the choice. We have the choice to, to, to obey the voice of the Lord and to, and to deny and, and, and renounce the, the voice of the enemy. We have the choice. And we have to choose wisely. To choose wisely. Yes. The scripture you says know, you have to choose ye this day whom you're going to serve. We have to choose wisely. Yes. You said that um, the devil will paint a picture. Mm-hmm. He'll try to sell it to us. Mm-hmm. And when things go wrong, what we think is wrong, and we're, we're suffering, we're, we're in mess, he will, do, he, will make, he will magnify that a thousand times just to make us say something. Now, the enemy, he's going to do his job. Mm-hmm. It's up to us, do you agree, that we have to have that relationship with God and stop spending so much time talking and, and dealing with the enemy. I agree with that 100%. We, we, we have to have one of my greatest desires in life, and one of the, one of the charges I feel God has placed on my life, is to get people... Into, into a position where they can have a personal, intimate relationship with the Lord, not based on what somebody else has, but their own personal relationships. Because so many times, and, and I see this in church every Sunday, where the man of God or woman of God will say, open your Bibles and turn this book, and people are looking around. They're, they have no Bible in their hand. And I always ask the question, how can you win the fight without weapons? We, we 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 grow up, especially in African American church. In fact, African American family, we grow up where we have Bibles all over the house, but they're never used to, to read. We have them in the bathrooms, we have them on the coffee table, we have them in our cars, so on and so forth. They're they're, de- they're decorations, but that but this word is not designed to be a decoration. It's designed to save lives and and to be a road map and to be a guider and to be a shield for us. And we have to understand. I mentioned this earlier when 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 the Lord Jesus Christ was tempted coming out of coming out of, out of out of the wilderness from being from fasting, Satan tempted him three times. If you read it closely, each time Satan tempted him, he responded with the word. That's right. For it is written. He responded with the word. But but know this: you cannot that you cannot fight off and and destroy a demonic spirit with the word of God if you do not know what the word of God says. Because because when you're being attacked, when you're going through spiritual warfare. What Mama said to you is not going to destroy this. It's not going to free you from spiritual warfare. You have to know and have your own personal conviction of what thus said the Lord in His Word. What when Mama said the Lord to do this, that's good and that's cute. But when you go into spiritual warfare, you have to you have to be sold out to this Word. To be sold out to this Word, and the enemy, we have to understand the most important thing: 
Satan's greatest desire is to cause havoc and confusion and, and, and destruction to the body of Christ. Why? Because his ultimate goal is to defeat God. And what he wants to do is he wants to, he wants to take us out one by one. The Bible very plainly says in the book of John 10 and 10, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his ultimate. That's all he wants to do is steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to get us to denounce God. He wants us to get us to get mad at God. He wants to get us at a point where we where we where we we tell God we're mad at Him. He wants that. He wants that. It's it's, it's like when things go wrong in people's lives. What, what the enemy will do is he'll raise up people, and he'll have people say, "Well, you know the reason why you're going through is because God's mad at you." Furthest from the truth. But 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 when you're weak. When you weak, what the enemy wants to do is he want to he wants to push you further and further down. You can read the book of Job when Job was going through. Job three friends came to fellowship with him, and, and instead of them encouraging him, what they told him is you must have done something wrong. Yeah. God don't punish you for nothing. Yeah. God is punishing you for something you've done wrong. There must be some hidden sin you've done. Further from the truth, Job went through what he went through because God was bragging on Job, not because Job did anything wrong. But we have to understand. It was very important that Job teaches us. When you're at a very weak point in your life, the last thing you need to do is surround yourself by unspiritual people who cannot speak the word of the Lord into your life. Yeah. When, you're at a, when you're at a vulnerable point, you have to be careful. You have to be careful to who you have to be careful who you go to for advice. You have to be careful who you allow to minister to you or speak to you because because everybody is talking, but they're not talking what thus said the Lord. You have to be careful of that. That's so true. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Abundant Solutions Hour. If you have any questions or comments, please give us a call at 718-508-9600. Derek, we have a caller on the line from the 850284 area code. Caller, are you there? Caller, are you there? Yes. Leanne? Yes, yeah. Yes, I'm listening in. Okay, do you have a question or comments for Minister McGee? Um, not at this point. <laughs> okay, so you're just listening in. Yes, I'm just listening in and I'm taking in everything that he's saying. Yeah, he's he's right on point, isn't he? Right on point, right on point. Praise the Lord. Yes, yes. So, Derek, what would you say to someone that's chasing their purpose? They want to know their purpose in life, but for some reason, they, you know, they're struggling with it, and do you think the things that they're struggling with, do you think they're running from their real true purpose? Do you think, think they're the just running from it? We have to understand about purpose. The very first thing we have to understand about purpose is is purpose starts with God. It starts with God. If you read very closely in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 11, God says in that word, he says, For I know thee, the thoughts and the plans that I have for you. The thoughts and plans for to well to prosper you. So so it's important to understand about purpose is that is that before you even knew who you were, God already had an assignment and a plan and a purpose for your life. That's important to understand. Now now, having said that, if if purpose starts with God, then then no man or woman can get a full understanding of what their life's purpose is if he or she is not seeking where the purpose started at. If, if, if I am trying to explain what God is doing, 
but I'm never in God's face to get an understanding of what God is doing. I can't reveal it to anybody else. If purpose starts with God, then I have to go back to God and say, God, what are you doing? Now, now Webster defines purpose as the object toward which one strives, for which something exists, mm-hmm. a goal, something you're aiming toward. And that sounds wonderful. That sounds wonderful. But is that it? Scripture tells us in, in Romans Chapter 8 and verse 28, it says that all things work together for the good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Now, in order for us to understand God's purpose, we have to, first, we have to begin to get into the word of God to figure out, okay, God, what are you saying? What are you saying? Oh, the One of the most important things, the one thing that we all share, is, is there are many things that we all share. Number one is that we all have a life's purpose designed by God. Yes. Number two, the most important thing of that is is that each one of our purpose has one major thing that's connected, is that our, our life's purpose is supposed to bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing. Our, all of our lives are set up and designed to glorify the Lord. Nothing that God gives us, nothing that God allows us to be a part of, should take us away from him. It's designed to bring us to him and allow us to be able to exalt him and lift up his name. We've done, we, we've done nothing by ourselves. Nothing by ourselves. But see, but see, what happens with purpose is, is there are times we'll pray and we'll say, God, God, I want to know my life's purpose. God, help me. And God will begin to reveal to us different things. But guess what? Sometimes what God reveals to us is not what we had planned for our own lives. Yes. So what happens is is that is that we turn our backs on what God is revealing to us because we don't want that. We we want to know our life's purpose, but we want our life's purpose to line up to what we've already planned for our own lives. Solomon writes in the book of Proverbs, he says that a, he said a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. So so God will allow you to map out your your, your life plan. Every five years, I plan on being here. I plan on being here. That's fine. But guess what? What what happens when your life's plan? doesn't line up with God's purpose for your life. What do you do then? Do you try to fight and go against the grain, or do you submit the plan? God told us in the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, he says that your thoughts are not like my thoughts. In verse verse 8, he says, your thoughts are not like my thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. So so, so the thing about purpose, now, number one, is that is that purpose starts with God. Number two, purpose is designed to bring glory to God. And number three, God did not ask us for our input when it came to our purpose. Yeah. He never asked us if it was okay for okay to purpose our lives for something. He never asked us that. He never asked us. But you, the fourth thing that's important about purpose is that the reason why it's so hard sometimes for people to figure out what, what life's purpose is is that God has set it up that way on purpose. You know why? He did it on purpose because he wants us to forever to seek him. That's why it's always so hard to pinpoint, put our hand on, this is my life's purpose. Because we, this one we think we understand what it is, it seems like it shifts. We feel like, what, what's going on? If God wants to keep us, keep us pursuing and seeking him, seeking him and staying in his face, because what happens, what we tend to do, Brother Greg, is, is that once we get the blessing, mm-hmm. we vacate the premises. And we disappear for a period of time until the blessing runs out, and then we want to run back to the blesser again and do the same routine. But what God wants is God wants a constant fellowship and a and a, and a relationship with us, where, it's a, where this is an all day, every day thing. So, there, and so, you, and so you, many people across this country, across this world, are asking that same question: What is my purpose? This is the reason why Pastor Rick Warren's book, Purpose Driven Life, 
sold so many copies and still selling so many copies because everybody's asking that same question. What in the world am I here for? Why am I here? Everybody's asking that same question, whether you're black or you're white, whether you're Baptist or, or you're Pentecostal, asking that same question. And we've come to realize that my denomination is not answering the question. That's right. The, the, the amount of years I've been in church is not answering that question. Who I'm married to is not answering that question. Who my people are is not answering that question. The amount of money I got in the bank or how I dress and what I drive is not answering that question. The degrees on the wall is not answering that question. Because see, we were taught that you go to school, you get degrees, you get education, get a good job. And that's wonderful. But guess what? Those things don't fill voids. They satisfy man's requirements. They don't fill voids. And we have to understand that our life's purpose it's not predicated based on how many degrees we acquire. It's not based on that. It's not based on that at all. What, what, what we do sometimes is is we we take the world's rules and the world's system and the world's instructions, and, and we, we we then we we intertwine them and mix them in with the Word of God and, and God's instructions in His Word. We try to produce a product and say this is what God wants, and that's not true. That's not true. God, God can use an uneducated man, an educated woman. Oh, that's been said that God, God used the mouth of a donkey to speak to a stubborn man. All God wants is a willing and an open vessel. But that question, everybody's asking that question: What is my purpose? Why am I here? And my response to many people is: Have you sought the Lord? Have you sought His Word to try to figure this thing out? When Jesus Christ came to the world, he had one purpose. He had one purpose. He was born to die. He was born to die. He was, he was born, he, he lived 33 years, but his ultimate goal for coming in, coming in a fleshly form was to endure the cross of Calvary that we may be restored back unto God in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. That was his life's purpose. Many folks don't want to hear that, but that was his life purpose. His life purpose was to come and to endure the cross that we may have direct fellowship now. We won't have to have a, a high priest go and atone for our sins. We had direct com contact with him now. The Bible said that the veil split from the top to the bottom. We may not be able to come in in the name of Jesus. But and, but think about those things. Think about David. When David when, when Samuel came to another king in Jesse's house, the Bible said that, that Jesse had all his sons come by one by one. And when his first son came by, the Bible said that Samuel said, he has to be the king. Look at this statue. And God said, don't look at the hour, man. He said, he said don't, don't get caught up on how he looks on the outside. Because I'm looking at his heart. What man sees, I don't see the same thing. And Jesse had all seven of his sons come by. And God said, no, to every last one of them. Then, then, then Samuel said, is that it? And Jesse said, no, there's one more. Even Jesse, the father, did not think that David would be the one. Because, because, because according to, according to um, Jewish tradition, the oldest son was supposed to receive the blessing. Yes. But 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 I said it to say that God never follows rules. God is the creator, so God sets rules how he wants them to be set. And God used David, a shepherd in the field, in order him to be king of all of Israel. And and, and so I said it to say that 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 purpose starts with God. And God doesn't apologize for doing what he does. But 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 as much as I may try to answer the question, it's important for us to understand the ultimate answer comes in seeking the Lord. In seeking the Lord. You cannot seek man. 
You have to seek the Lord. You have to seek God and begin to talk to God. And I can assure anybody who's listening that God will answer the question. He will show you the question. He will reveal unto you why you're here. Because you are here for a reason. If you were not here for a reason, then you wouldn't keep waking up every morning. That's right. That's right. So, Derek, do you think that God will allow things to happen so that we can fellowship with him? You know, and you said something that was that just stood out to me. As long as we're getting the blessings, we kind of vacate the premises. We kind of vacate and say, you know, okay, God, you brought me out of this one. Now I can go back into the world and do what I was doing. I believe with all of my heart that God allows many things to happen. Does God get glory in a, in a woman on her deathbed battling cancer? No. The, 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 is God sitting around smiling because, because a mother is struggling or a father is struggling to make ends meet? No, he's not. No, he's not. But, but, at, the, but at the same point, the, the enemy is getting glory out of that. But God is, not, God, God is not sitting around with a smiling face because cause somebody is enduring hardship. He's mm. not. Like I, when I mentioned Job earlier, if you read Job very clearly, God God asked Satan. He said, Satan, where you where you been? Satan said, I've been, I've been going to and fro on the earth. And God said, have you tried my servant Job? An upright and perfect man. God bragged on Job. And and then, but 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 it's important to keep reading it and to be able to dissect the word of, God, word of the Lord because go a little further than that, in the first couple of chapters of, of Job, it goes a little further than that. And Satan said, well, does he serve you for free? Paraphrasing. And, and God's, God's, and, and, and but the, the Bible says that God told, gave, permitted Satan yeah. to attack him. He had to have his so permission. You can, you can attack him, but you can't take his advice. But he needed God's permission to do it. That's right. He couldn't just invade. God had, God had to remove that head from around Job and allow enemy to come in. But, he, but even doing that, God still gave, he still gave Satan his, his, his orders. You can do this, but you cannot do this. So is that what's happening to a lot of the people today? Satan went to God and said, you know what, let me try Minister McGee, or at the, at the time you, well, he's probably still doing that. But do you, when you were in college or when you were back in California and you were struggling, you were going through, do you think Satan did the same thing to to you as he did to Job? He was asking for permission to destroy you or to change you from God. When I was in college, I didn't know the Lord as my Lord and Savior. So I would say no to that because I believe that Satan never attacks those who already belong to him. But I think what was going on in college was it was God mm-hmm. trying to get my attention. It was God saying, okay, son, I've allowed you to do your own thing long enough. Now it's time for me to intervene. It was God. But once I gave my life to the Lord completely and the enemy, enemy began to attack me, I believe at that point God was God had permitted him to do certain things because because what we have to understand as children of God is that God has invested greatly in our lives. He has poured great things into us, and we have to understand. You can equate this like with, with being in school. A teacher will teach you chapter one through three, mm-hmm. will drill you on it, tell you everything, put notes on the board, you take your notes and you study your notes, and then they'll always give you an exam. And if you ever watch your teacher during an exam, the teacher never says anything during the exam. No question. They usually sit there at their desk reading the book or doing something when you taking the exam. They don't. They usually don't answer questions during the exam. They just sit there. Why is that? 
because a teacher is confident in their teaching skills enough to know that I've given this class all of the necessary equipment and tools they're going to need to pass this exam. Now, if he or she did not review the notes, and see, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the spiritual realm, the notes for us is the Bible. They do not review, they do not review the notes. When, when the test comes and they don't pass the test, it's not my fault. And, mm-hmm. and so what happened was each time the enemy was attacking me, and he tries to attack any of us as children of God. What it is is the reason why God permits him to do it is because God knows I've already tested them there. I've already equipped them in that area. And so, therefore, we have to understand one thing about tests is it's very simple. A test reveals to us what we know and what we don't know. Know this, that God will always test you to reveal to you what you know and what you don't know to bring you closer to him. The devil will always tempt you to destroy you. God tests. The devil tempts. The Bible says in the book of the book of James, chapter one, around verse twelve, he said, "He said, blessed is the man who endures temptations. When he is tried, he shall re- he shall receive the crown of life." But but it goes a little further. It's, it's, it talks about it said that he said when you've been after you've been tempted, not only by your own lust, temptation bringeth forth sin, and sin bringeth forth death. So Satan's ultimate goal is to, is to have us die off. But when I was in school and I was unsaved, I believed that 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 was God making everything that I had grown comfortable with uncomfortable. Everything that I began to depend upon, I can no longer depend upon because God was saying, now, son, it's now time for you to get to know me. Get to know me. When my grandmother passed away, it broke my heart. Yes. But, but, but by her passing away, it allowed me to realize, you don't know God. You knew Grandma, mm-hmm. and you knew God based on what Grandma did, but you didn't know God. But once you get saved and you give your life to the Lord, the tests come, the temptations come, the, the attacks come from the enemy. But God will never allow the enemy to attack you or, or throw anything your way if he has not already prepared you for it. That's right. the, the Bible says put, on the, put you on the whole armor of God that you may withstand the wiles of the enemy. You, you have to put on the armor of God because, because every day the enemy is trying to plot. Even when you sleep... He's trying certain things. He's trying certain things. And if we're not careful, the enemy will use people to get us. Yes, he will. We have to be careful. Yes. Derek, do you remember when you go, when you turned your life over to God, do you remember the moment that you did it? I was a freshman at FAMU, second semester. Actually, first semester at FAMU. I was in my dorm room in Pattyfoot. It was in the month of September of the year 96. I, that's when I. That's when I was going through a lot, and and I'll be honest with you, I've been through so much where I just just couldn't do it anymore. I remember dropping to my knees in that dorm room. My grandmother passed away the second semester, but it was the first semester I just got in the family, and I came there with so much promise, so and, and and such excitement. I was the first one in my dad's family, and the second male in my mom's family to go to college, mm-hmm. and I mean, it was so it was so much pressure, but it was it was so much. But I remember being in that dorm room on my knees, my roommate. Just happened that weekend had gone home, and I was on my knees, and I remember just crying and wailing uncontrollably, just overwhelmed, and I kept saying, "God, what is going on?" And I began to ask these questions, I began to ask these questions, and and and, but it wasn't until my grandmother passed. My grandmother passed away in February of of of, of ninety seven. Mm-hmm. That God that God answered me. 
I was praying in September of 96. He didn't answer me until February of 97. And he answered me by, 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 he answered me through my grandmother's death when he began to show me, son, you don't know me. You don't know me. But that's where, that's where the whole transition started. It was there. And I'll be honest with you, it took about two years for me to really, really get to a, to a, to a, a, a point in my life where I was just sold out for the Lord. Took two years because I still wanted to hold on to doing worldly things. I still wanted to engage in some ungodly activities. I, I still wanted to be able to to make my own personal my own decisions. Um, I still I had a lot of religion religious spirits on me. What I mean by that was I, I was so I, I, like I said I knew the church setting, and I felt like what I I felt like as long as I was going to church every Sunday, whether my heart was genuine or not, I was okay. And God had to really God had to really shift my entire life to get me to realize it's not okay. He began to work on my heart. Began to work on my heart. And in that process, guess what else he did? He began to he began to work on my relationship with my father and began to show me that son, hatred that hatred you have in there, I need to get it out of you. But I started praying in September of ninety six. God didn't answer me to February of ninety seven. So I know how it feels to pray and not hear from God, not get an answer from God. And having to wait, I know how it is, but it's worth it in the end. Yes. So, so Derek, when you were praying out and crying out to God, when you were in the, in the dorm room by yourself, and you were crying out to God, how did it feel? I want to. I, w- I want the listeners to get a good understanding, and I want them. I want you to take them with you. I want. I want them to really understand, and I want you to explain to them. How did it feel when God spoke to you? How did you feel? First, I'll be honest with you, I first was scared. And I was scared because I had never heard his voice before. And and, and I can equate it to when God was calling Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 3. I was scared because the voice was very unfamiliar to me. And I was I was on my knees many times between September and and. In February, and it just so happened that usually the times when I was having uncontrollable nights of crying, my roommate wasn't around, and God was set up that way where, where I was in a dorm room com- with with no one in there. But first, I was scared because I didn't know who the voice of the Lord mm-hmm. didn't know it at all. Didn't even know honestly that God spoke to spoke to you at all. Never, I was never taught that. But as time went on, when God began to really speak to me and begin to show me myself and begin to tell me what He wanted to do in my life. I had this 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 point of appreciation, but most importantly, I had this feeling of why me. I remember when if you read the book of the, if you read the, the book of Isaiah, when God was God is saying who shall who can I send who will go for me and Isaiah said I'll go send me. I didn't have that attitude. I didn't want to go. I just wanted some peace in my life. I was 19 years old going through hellish situations. I just wanted peace in my life. And when God began to speak and began to and really begin to minister to me and begin to reveal and let me be able to hear his voice and, mm-hmm. and understand and begin to take me to different scriptures in the Bible, I begin to I begin to really have this have this yearning in my heart to hear it. Hear his voice. Mm-hmm. I remember I remember when it comes that next morning wanting to hear his voice again. This this wanting I remember having that desire to get back to that point where I was. Get back to that point of just, just being in his presence and hearing his voice and having a conversation with him. 
I remember that. But at, but at the same point, I would I see Brother Greg. You have to understand. I, I grew up where I always worried about the opinions of other people. So I dared not tell somebody that that I had a conversation with the Lord last night. He said this to me because I was too afraid people was going to laugh at me. Right. So I didn't tell anybody that God spoke to me. So then I begin. So then the enemy began to tell me that wasn't God. Your mind playing tricks on you. Mm. But I knew it was Him. I knew it was Him because the things that He was saying to me, the things that He was saying to me, I began to seek His Word, and it was confirmation coming through His Word. But I want to tell everybody who's listening something that's very important. Number one is that God does speak to his people. He may not speak every day, but he speaks to his people. But but but, but his people need to get into a position where they can hear his voice. Because you can't you can't pollute your mind with dirty television shows and with nasty songs on the radio and with, with gossiping conversations and desire to go in his go into your secret place and hear God speak to you because he's not. You touch the unclean thing. Just unclean things, and and you contaminated the environment. And he's not going to speak to you in that atmosphere. But he desires to speak with to his people. But but go a little further than that. Have to understand is when God speaks to his people, he's speaking for a reason. Yes. And 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 and, and whatever he speaks to you, there's something that he he's speaking something that he that's going on or something he go, he's going to do. And I'll tell people this all the time. Whenever the voice of the Lord is speaking to you, whether it's direct conversation, whether he's speaking to you through a dream, so on and so forth, you need to write these things down because he may never say it again. And I remember being I remember being on my knees in that dorm room and hearing his voice. Hearing his voice. I remember I remember I remember saying to my remember saying out loud, Lord, I'm not pleased where I am in life. I remember hearing him saying, I'm not pleased either. And it was at that point, that's when my life began to take that shift. But but I'll say this to any and everybody who's listening, anybody asking this question, you must understand this. You have to understand this. Whenever you give God your life, God will take ownership of your life. And God will begin to rid you of the things that are going to, that he knows will hinder you from completely doing what he wants you to do. And when God began to change my life as a result of our, our fellowship in that dorm room, he went after the big things first, the, the things that I felt like I couldn't live without. He went after those things first. And he does that because he, he, he understands that you've elevated these things as idol gods. And I need to tear these things down in order for you to really see that he is high and lifted up and that his train fills the temple. But you can't you can't see the true elegance and the grace of God if you have other things in your life that you have exalted to the same level. But that I'll tell you that that dorm room experience, I'll never forget it. It changed my entire life. I think you've changed lives tonight, Derek. Praise uh, the Lord. I'm just speaking. Right now, Derek, I want to give you the opportunity to Give your information out. If someone is listening, they need to email you, or if someone is listening, they want you to come into their church and speak. Uh, also, if you, the ones that are listening, Derek, every Monday through Friday, Derek will release a devotional every morning. And I'm telling you, this thing is so powerful. Derek, could you give them your email address or some type of contact information so they yes, can contact sir. you? Yes, sir. Um, Brother Greg mentioned the, the devotionals. God bless me. Almost four years ago, July 3rd of 2003, God blessed me to start 
a weekday email ministry called Meditation Moments with Minister McGee. And I send them out via email. And any and everyone is eligible to, to get on the list and, and to receive them. There's no charge to it. It's just an opportunity for me to minister to the people of God and, and through email. And that email address is, you can email me at Derek, D-A-R-R-I-C-K-D-M-C-G-H-E-E at yahoo.com. Again, that's Derek, D-A-R-R-I-C-K-D-M-C-G-H-E-E at yahoo.com. So that's Derek D. McGee at yahoo.com. If you email me at that address, with your, with your email address, I'll add you on. I don't have to know you personally. If you just want to receive the word of the Lord through devotional, you can send that send that to me. If you would like for me to come minister at your church, I have, I have this, the same routine. I pray over every invitation, and I consult my father in the ministry who I'm up under. Just for just, I believe in that you ought to have your father's blessing when you go out. Otherwise, you're operating in a ministry. You're operating a bastard ministry where you're operating out of self and out of, of the coverage. If that is the case, I'll give you the church phone number, which is 850-575-2739. Again, 850-575-2739. And you can inform them that you would like Minister McGee to, to possibly come minister at your church, and they'll get in contact with me. Or you can email me at the same address I gave you for the email devotionals. And however you, you do it, I'll be able to get the information, and I'll get back in contact with you. Good, good. Uh, my email address is Gregory Turner at Abundant. Solutions Enterprises, and tonight was just as wonderful as I thought it would be. The Lord showed up. I'm telling you, lives, the people that heard there tonight, I, I tell you, just hold on. Just hold on. You are where you are for a reason. And just always know that God truly, truly loves you. With that being said, Derek, thank you so much for coming on. It is my pleasure. And for you listeners, again, contact Derek. Contact Derek. Put him to work. He's ready. He's ready to get out there and go on the battlefield. Praise the Lord. And he'll do whatever he needs to do to get to do that. Praise the Lord. With that being said, that is the, that is the show for tonight. Please join in with us next Friday at 9 p.m. to the Abundant Solutions Hour. Thank you and good night. God bless.